you know um you know in my experience having this coach especially the bigger teams is the most important thing no mystery there you know these people exist they're not uh, unicorns right you, you you can find them they're very difficult to find so maybe they're a little bit like unicorns right but but you can find them and for me if i if i had to name you know top 3 reasons to win this deal about deal again it would be one the value we brought and that comes from the team we had two was the coach that i had and three was some of the other relationships that we had to the senior levels right welcome to the business developer podcast with sujay a source of inspiration for business developers by listening to this podcast you may gain some ideas inspirations or food for thought towards your own journey of developing your business successfully now or in the near future thanks for your positive feedback on the previous episode with rupali mehra wherein we discussed the power of storytelling in developing a business we all immerse ourselves in stories storytelling is the most effective way for us business developers to engage with our audience in today's episode we shall hear about the art of winning large deals winning large deals is the holy grail for many business to business companies let us learn about that from our guest raghav radhakrishnan vp and global client executive at ntt data services so please join me in welcoming our guest raghav radhakrishnan hello raghav welcome to the business developer podcast thanks for taking out time to join this episode hi sujay glad to be here thanks for having me great raghav just to give you a brief about this podcast the objective of this podcast is to become a source of inspiration for the listeners who by listening to the experiences shared by seasoned professionals like you could gain some ideas and food for thought towards their own journey of developing their business so raghav to get started can you share with our listeners the story of your life the story of my life hmm um, you know in the context of this discussion i think i have an interesting incident to kind of start with this is one my mother has uh, narrated m- multiple times uh, i was very young i grew up in india in chennai and uh, you know i must have been 6 or 7 years old and my father's friend had come he had bought a new car uh, one of the newer ones in the market those days and uh, i apparently convinced him that it was in his best interest that he kind of lets me drive the car around for a bit wow. and so whatever it was he took me on for a drive and you know i sat in the front holding the steering wheel etc and when he came back to the house he told my parents that you know your son he should be a salesman he'd be a really great salesman and i apparently said yes yes i want to be a salesman i want to be a salesman uh, because i thought salesmen get to drive new cars every day <laughs> it seems yeah. you had it in your blood <laughs> well i don't know about that but uh, but anyway I did my undergrad in in Chennai and then Sujay of course we went to a business school together which is where we first met. Yeah. Your listeners might be interested to know that our uh, Sujay Datta graduated top of our class and I uh, suffice it to say that I I kind of graduated. I don't know how I <laughs> did that but you had your own moments uh, like you. you did travel some of our right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well post that I uh, worked in India for a few years. I was uh, in uh, with Citibank for a while, Asian Paints etc and then moved to the US about 16 years ago. and since then i've been working in technology for all that time and pretty much all through that i've been working with clients in the banking and financial services space which i love it's an amazing exciting uh, space you know even yeah it's got its you know monolithic applications and a bunch of legacy technology etc still in but it is still very fast moving and the rate of change is also accelerating you know going from changing regulations to let's say open banking trends etc it's a good place to be in uh, they say that money makes the world go round well this is the industry that that does it 
right? I'd been a business development professional for a long time, a sales guy, if you will. Uh, but over the last few years, I've kind of moved to more of a general management type role where I run a portfolio of accounts. You know, we have people across sales and obviously the delivery of those services as well, working on them. And I have many, many bosses, of course, at work, but I liken the role to be that of a kind of mini CEO because you're really running your business, your book of business. You have PL responsibility. You have the creativity to do what you will to kind of nurture and grow that business. So that's what I've been doing these last few years. That's great, Raghav. I think that serves as a good foundation for our discussion going ahead. So Raghav, uh, for the interest of our listeners, can you help demystify the magic that you have created with your customers over the years of your experience? You know, honestly, I don't know if there's much wizardry or magic in this. Uh, certainly, it's not a science. It's it's both a science and an art kind of thing, right? The art of the deal, if you will. Right? And I think it comes down to maybe a few key things that any good uh, salesperson must possess. And I'll kind of preface this by saying that, you know, the salesperson or the business developer, you know, he or she is just the tip of the spear. In most cases, there are, uh, well, there's certainly some selling situations or business setups, etc., where this is not true. But in most cases, that salesperson is not a lone ranger, right? He is, again, that tip of the spear and he's got this, you know, small horde of warriors behind him or her and with whom, you know, they must work really well. But maybe more on that later, you know, going back to the few key things that I think a salesperson must possess. Uh, first and foremost, people truly buy from people they like, right? People like, they like doing business with, they like hanging out with, etc. So it may sound a little simple, but I think bottom line, a salesperson must be likable. You know, again, it sounds simple, but it's not easy to establish genuine relationships with people. And, you know, for that, you must be genuinely interested in them, not just as their role and title, but as, as who they are as people or relate to them. The second thing is, I think, you know, a salesperson uh, must be knowledgeable, you know, as likable as you are, just because you are, the client may not be giving you that valuable time, right? If, if you know things about your client, you know their business, you know their domain, you have experience in having worked in it, or you have perspective on the problems they are facing, and you can bring value to a, even a simple conversation that you're having with them, that makes it a lot more likely that the person wants to listen to you, right? I think so these are some two uh, basic qualities uh, that an individual must have. But outside of this, there are many, many more, right? Uh, an ability to work well with teams, providing the right leadership through a pursuit process. And in that process, having the foresight, you know, not just being driven by your current year quotas and targets, etc., right? It, but having the foresight to take that long view, which will mean that you're wanting to get the best out of that engagement for not just your team, but really for your client. And you're able to translate that value. You know, these are some of the things I can, I can kind of think of, uh, Sujay. I'll, I'll give you an example of um, when some of this came together well. We recently won a, a large size deal for workforce productivity, you know, what some folks call dynamic workplace services, et cetera, the employee digital experience. But basically what it is, is, you know, your uh, companies have increasingly realized that it's not just customers we serve, but really truly we start with our employees. You know, we need to have employees who are happy, who are enabled, and therefore are as productive as we'd like them to be. And so what can we do to deploy and enable right technology to the right people within a company through an employee's life cycle, starting from onboarding to their daily tasks to the time they leave the company? You know, this involves things like service desk and field services, asset management, innovation streams, et cetera, et cetera, right? Incidentally, this deal was, we signed with one of the biggest banks in the, in the US and was uh, the largest deal signed by my organization with a financial services customer and also the largest managed services deal signed by the bank themselves. So I think it's an interesting example. Right. So many congratulations for you and your company for that deal. 
So in the interest of this business development exercise, Raghav, from your experience uh, that you've gathered through this process of winning this large deal, for our listeners, can you help unpack or deconstruct that, how to go ahead and process such large deals that end up winning such large deals? It's a great question. And I think I should preface this by saying, I don't believe there is one answer, obviously, to this. It's not a science, right? I mean, there's a bit of an art here as well in, in the art of selling. And I also strongly believe that, you know, whether it's a small deal or a large deal, your involvement and your effort, etc., plus the just the complexity of navigating the deal, winning it, there's a lot of similarities, right, between large deals and small deals, whether you're selling a $10 million deal or in the hundreds of millions. Obviously, the hundreds of millions will take a lot more due diligence and a lot more effort, concerted effort from more people, I guess, right? But so looking at all of that, I think obviously the primary starts with, you know, with the client expressing the desire or you being able to see the client's needs in terms of what they need from a solution, right? What is the problem and what is the solution? and How can I impact it? You want to be able to map your client's organization very well. What that means is, you know, who are the key stakeholders from both the technology perspective as well as business, you know, understanding their buying behavior. Is this a long cycle? What kind of budget requests do they make internally? Do they need to build an internal business case? And can I help impact that in some way? How strong is their procurement organization? Will they be, you know, present through the deal? Will there be Chinese walls set up between, you know, the actual business stakeholders and the various vendor partners who are participating? What is the current incumbency, right? How are they delivering these services currently to their employees? Or is it a brand new thing? And if there is an incumbent, what can you learn about how things are being delivered now to get a sense of what are the pain points that they're feeling, which is why they're expressing a need to change? In my case, with the... The large deal I mentioned, this was very much a factor, right? The incumbency and how we can impact things that you can see are plainly going wrong, et cetera, right? Uh, I think that's that's an important thing to do. You know, as you get through the process and large deals like this, you know, Sujay, these kind of deals die through the process quite a few times. And there are times when you'll have to resuscitate these deals, you know, pick them back up and uh, breathe life into them almost. And that'll happen when you're running a large, let's say, you know, again, deals which are of this magnitude will certainly go through a, an RFP, RFI kind of process. I mean, you, you know, companies can call it what they will, but a thorough vetting process. Through that process, you will experience many ups and downs. You need to be a good coach and you need to be a good uh, leader for your pursuit team, right? To keep them focused. By the way, coming to the pursuit team, you're going to have to have clear roles listed and manned in that pursuit team. You cannot have confusion on who's doing what and who communicates what, you know, things like that. Right. And so I was lucky in that we had a great team and we had some stellar superstars on the team who kind of really took us along here. But, you know, a lot of this is more from an internal perspective. Now I look back to the client and as you're working through it, let's say you've been through the RFI, you're shortlisted for the RFP. You know, you need to start building the right relationships in your client organization wherein you have a coach almost, right? Somebody in the client organization who may be a key influencer, may not be a decision maker, but who trusts you enough that you're able to have conversations, frank conversations with him or her on, on what's happening and what is the client really looking to see and, you know, stuff like that. Through that and through the insights gained and through the value that your team is able to demonstrate, you slowly start building consensus within the client's buying organization. Again, this is a combination of finance and technology. And if you're impacting people, then HR, uh, legal, certainly, right? And that engagement through the contracting process where frequently, you know, one side suffers or both sides end up unhappy after the deal is signed is probably because of a lack of the right diligence, right? So I would stress on that too. 
So help us understand the leadership aspect that you mentioned, right? You have to lead the pursuit team. And I believe there could be internal stakeholders beyond your pursuit team also, like your senior management. And then you talked about different functions. And many of these team members most likely are not reporting to you in the organization reporting hierarchy. How did you manage to drive and execute that leadership across this wide spectrum of people? And each of them might have different priorities in their own roles too. And there could be other deals also running in the organization. So if you can help our listeners take through that process of yours, which maybe the listeners could learn from. That's a great question, right? And I want to, I think you touched on something so important is you're going to have people internally who may or may not be part of your organization. I mean, in fact, the majority of people would be leverage resources or people from other you know, verticals and lines of business who have their own priorities, etc. How do you corral, if you will, right, all of these people to the common goal through the process? I think that's a great question. After you win a deal, even when you're delivering the services, again, you don't really, you know, those resources don't really belong to the account. They're again being pulled in from various parts of the organization. And how do you harness that energy? to kind of impact your account in the best way possible. I think this is an ongoing struggle, right, for a lot of us. And this is something that we manage on a daily basis. I believe that if you can lay out at the very beginning your clear expectations from people and have them sign up to those expectations, right, you know that if you're going to come in and deliver this project or if you're going to come in and help me, you know, write this proposal, so much is expected of you and are you able to take that on. With that, you're not just assigning responsibility, but you're creating some level of accountability with those resources. That's one. Two, you can make your needs more exciting to them to work on, quite frankly. Again, a large deal like this, one of the big incentives for a lot of the team was, you know, to help out with the pursuit and then be able to kind of man some of those leadership roles on the account once you start working on it. I'll give you an example. This is a minor example, right? The service desk architect that we used on we have multiple towers, right, working on this. You have things like asset management and service desk and field services and client engineering, etc. right? So we had our service desk architect, who was a very bright young man and, you know, really helped us deliver through the project. And soon after that, he, one, received a, a promotion and a lot of internal recognition, but he also was elevated to the role of service desk leader on this new account, where now he has about 150 people working on his service desk, right? So rewards and incentives are always going to be an important factor in terms of how you get people to engage with you. Again, taking the large deal example, uh, you know, if it's a hundreds of million dollar kind of deal, you're obviously your management are going to be very interested in the deal. Another important thing for you to do is to navigate that internally and get the right executives to also engage at the right levels with the client. The client one sees the attention and our executives can actually contribute to us winning the deal. And we did that as well, uh, I think, pretty well on, on this example. Right. I believe emotional intelligence and how you connect to people emotionally is the key thing, right? To get your needs and your deal get prioritized within their own list of actions that they need to do. And they are wholly committed with you on the deal as you are from the sales leader leading the deal, right? Absolutely. I, I think you'll agree with me, Sujay, if I tell you that uh, the more and more we spend time in our career, etc., and you see people uh, do very well, and you can always say that emotional intelligence is critical for you as you kind of progress in your career. Yes, exactly. And if you remember, uh, one of the things that we used to learn when we used to study, uh, one of our professors used to tell that organization behavior, learn this course much better. This is one you might not find interesting right now, but organization behavior is one that is going to help you 
in your careers to grow in your careers right Raghav? absolutely yes you know and, and that's very true right and i guess that's where maybe it's the science versus the art kind of thing behavior is always uh, very personal very subjective right and and it, it is definitely an art right let's move to the client side of things because customer focus and customer managing the customer is critical part of it in addition to the internal part now you talked about a coach and that's always a mystical thing for me everybody says you should have a coach do you think is there's mystery behind it how do you really identify a coach or maybe the client procurement team etc they are playing games okay you become a coach for this company you try to manage it. do you think clients also play that game with their vendors how do you go in that client mapping and identifying the coach in this deal could you really identify a coach where you were comfortable with and what was that process you adopted to select that this person could be a potential coach with that wide stakeholder base that you see at the customer end you know um you know in my experience having this coach especially the bigger deals is the most important thing no mystery there you know these people exist they're not uh, unicorns right you 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 can find them they're very difficult to find so maybe they're a little bit like unicorns right but but you can find them and for me if i if i had to name you know top 3 reasons to win this deal the large deal again it would be one the value we brought and that comes from the team we had two was the coach that i had and three was some of the other relationships that we had at senior levels right again i think you made a very interesting point do you think companies are playing that game do they have coaches assigned to various vendors i'm sure they are right i'm sure they are in fact large buying organizations frequently assign senior executives to each of their strategic vendors who kind of help those vendors navigate the internal environment who kind of help those vendors broaden their footprint etc and take it on as a very personal i'm the executive sponsor for this relationship type thing right that's not your coach by the way i don't think that person is your coach you know that person is will do what you said which is have multiple people for multiple vendors a coach is somebody who maybe either believes that you have the right solution for them and wants to back you or two you know has a good relationship with you and you have the credibility that she or he believes you will be the right choice for them right raghav in your experience of this large deal that you've gone through i would like to just check whether your experience validates a very well studied understanding of decision making where it is said that most decisions are made emotionally and then justified rationally so do you subscribe to that thinking or what's your viewpoint and perspective of that given the experience that you went through in your large deal you know i actually i absolutely think that is true i think decisions are made emotionally primarily and then they're you know you kind of do a lot of rational diligence post that to ensure that you're actually made the right decision or not you know if you think about it really all selling is relationship based you know you buy anything primarily because of one you need it but also because you like the person you are buying it from or you like the company that person represents etc right a lot of decision making happens because you know you you know the people whom you are working with and who are looking to buy something more than just as their roles and their titles right you actually know them as people you kind of hung out with them and you appreciate their perspectives they appreciate your perspective etc you've built some credibility with them over a period of time all of these play a huge role in terms of them actually making a decision they also want to be working finally with people they like right let's say you win this large deal in the end you're going to be delivering services they would like to work with people they can trust and they like and have some experience with and stuff like that so i would agree with that and that again goes back to you know the engagement with the coach and the key influencers decision makers 
can go through the RFI and the RFP process and all of that needs to check out, right? It, you need to do well with all of that. You need to also with how your contracting team works with their uh, legal team. All of these are very important factors which will help them rationalize that decision. But if you're already there and you're doing these things, there's a good chance that they've already made that decision to work with you. So I would agree with that. But if I may, I'll tell you, I'll tell you another thing which is very exciting to clients, right? Is you take a bunch of sometimes commoditized services, you know, providing workforce enablement. It isn't really rocket science, right? It's it's having that service desk. It's having you know a field services team, etc., to handle dispatch and you know things like that. Very very uh, process oriented uh, commodity in in many cases. So what can you do to create excitement around what you're taking to them? You know, you can. You, so we call this our dynamic workplace solution, right? Which enable clients to transform their end user environment into a new model of support. Again, to deliver that superior customer experience or employee experience. So in this case, for example, we are helping them build automated solutions such as a concierge-led service desk experience. You know that integrates some state-of-the-art tooling to help them automate processes to the to the extent possible. It includes things like a shift-left philosophy with you know things like sentiment monitoring, virtual assistants to help field BAU queries with greater efficiency, leveraging bots in connect in conjunction with human teams to take on repetitive tasks so that their employees can focus on more strategic fulfilling work. All of these things were very exciting to them in terms of the innovation that we're able to drive to. And I think that's also an important component in how you win uh, large and big and you know new deals. Yeah, that's true. And now let's take it forward. You've won the deal. Now you're delivering value to the customer. One metric I want to check with you, which is favorite of mine, is something which I call a promise to deliver ratio in a relationship and an engagement where you make a lot of promises to your customers. Yes, we will do this. You'll get in by that time. And then how much you deliver. Do you think that plays a role in your experience of having a very high, maybe close to 100% may not be possible, but a very high promise to deliver ratio with your customers across the engagement? I think that is the most important thing you can do, right? In the end, I mean, if, if you're a fly-by-night operator and you want to win something and run, you know, and, and leave, then that's fine. But if, if you have a long-term view, if you want to build that partnership with the client, then that, that promise to deliver ratio you put, I think it's crucial. And I have multiple examples where it hasn't gone well, quite honestly, right? I mean, we've signed, you know, smaller deals where maybe there wasn't the right due diligence, etc. But you know, you end up on day one showing up for work and what the contract says you'll deliver versus what they expect you to deliver are two entirely different things. And so there you're starting to fail what they considered your promise to deliver already, right? And so I think it's it's very essential for you to, you know, retain credibility and try and exceed expectations if possible. It's not going to be possible always. And like you said, that ratio, maybe, you know, you maybe you're under perfect over there, you're under 100, etc. But it's very important to keep focus on that. And again, uh, to tie this back to my innovation point also, right, is your promise to deliver, you can you can amplify that, that delivery uh, when you're also constantly charting an innovation roadmap for them. You're constantly taking them to new areas and, you know, you're leading them rather than kind of just filling the brief and following orders, if you will. That's how you deliver high on expectations because when client may not be expecting that, but when you innovate, you take it to the next level and you get a wow effect on the customer. Customer says, wow, I didn't expect this, right? You know, people are moving from things like SLAs, which are service level agreements. They're moving towards experience level agreements, XLAs, right? Where you're not just tracking if, let's say, the call to the call center happened in the right amount of time, was the average speed to answer good, average handle time good. That's not what we're tracking. We want to get to a point where we are able to track that employees or that customers 
end satisfaction with the overall experience that's an important uh, thing as well to keep an eye on i would say that's a nirvana stage right where you are able to deliver experience and actually measure that and make it happen now raghav let's go to the practicality you spoke of covid impact in the initial part of the discussion and as we were discussing through we came to that view that it's very much emotional it's very much personal people to people now how are you managing with this covid and with all the remote working social distancing how are you managing your business development steps right now in this kind of a reality yeah you know that's a that's a great question right it's it's a reality that uh, the entire world is grappling with so that's one thing right is you're not just alone in this it's all of us and together as as humanity we'll need to tackle the situation and move forward and i want to i want to certainly pay attention while we're discussing all of these things you know that there are a lot of people who are who are suffering some very negative consequences of covid and so our thoughts should be with people like that and how how much we can help them but i'll tell you to specifically what you asked is something i grapple with you know like i said i've been talking a lot about relationship based selling and you know understanding clients and understanding them as people etc quite frankly covid has impacted that greatly right i mean it's not easy to do a virtual kind of meeting and really have that kind of connection with your clients you got to understand a lot of client environments have changed dramatically there are many companies that have experienced you know revenue loss of up to 50 and greater percent and so you may not have that kind of business development opportunities as well but if you are in the right sectors or if you are in the right client space there is still a lot of investment happening there's a lot of thrust towards digitization which is all technology enabled so this is also potentially an opportunity but you know the soul not being there in person is definitely an impact that uh, covid imposed social distancing has kind of caused you need to be creative about things like that you know and so i try and organize team building sessions with uh, with various people in the client organizations at various levels i have uh, tried to do some kind of virtual happy hours where you know you send the same box of assortments to various clients and you meet them virtually and then talk about their business and how we can help and things like that right but none of this is perfect and it's it's a you know work in progress we are trying to trying to manage around all this How about you Sujay what are you doing what are you doing that's different these days it's certainly difficult what i am trying to do to increase the number of touch points since we are not able to meet personally whenever we are meeting remotely i try to switch on my video try to exchange more messages uh, make more calls uh, maybe as people are working from homes so we get a little bit of more flexibility to be in there i try to maybe get like understanding how they are doing with their family and the health to show that empathy with the customers and feeling that we are in together i think those small things goes a long way maybe this is a opportunity to make a difference i will say for the business developers to stand out if we can become more personal show more empathy to the customers and become closer great points sir on an aside from that right if i you mentioned something there which i i just want to hit on for a second you flexibility given we are all working from home we have some flexibility with which to work I think that's essential again when you're running a large team. One of the positive impacts that I've seen from COVID is, you know, things like we can now implement a split shift, right? People are working from home. And so if if I if I'd like, I can potentially work from 10 to 2 and then take a 4-hour break, you know, handle things I'd like to with my family, etc., and then come back on and do 6 to 10 and do my 8 hours that way. Right? The level of flexibility you get will also help you if you can translate that and kind of build some synergies around how you deliver those services. it will also help you make a good impact to your client 
Yes, I think to add to that, uh, Raghav, as we speak, there could be another positive. It's more from a delivery perspective because earlier client may ask your resource to be there in person, which puts constraint upon what resources could be in person with that customer at that particular point of time. But now it is virtual. You as an organizer, global organization, have an access to the global resource pool. So I believe then you can identify that best resource for the customer and bring that person in front of the customer. So that's another thing I try to do because now even I'm sitting in Europe, in Sweden and Stockholm, I can get a resource from US to speak to the customer. Absolutely. Anyways, it has to be virtual. So I believe that's another way where we can impact and create positive difference with our customers by leveraging the right resources because now the access is there, right? Yep, absolutely. In fact, you know, when we are, you know, when we, um, we kind of helped lead our client this way, this is a bank and they're fairly conservative. They've got, you know, very stringent risk measures, etc. Things like work from home were entirely new to them, while we as technology organizations have a lot more familiarity with this. And so we helped coach their risk teams, their risk management teams, etc. through this process, thereby and also, you know, showing them exactly what their security requirements are, what concerns there are, and how we mitigate those with, with our processes, helping them make these decisions, right? Okay, yes, we can enable this team to work from home, to work on these queues, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, again, it's important to stay on top of your client's needs, looking at it from their perspective, and then helping them see the light, if you will, right? That, again, will show some thought leadership to the client. Yeah, and that's the value add you are providing, right, to the customer, delivering something beyond the expectations, beyond the contract. So, Raghav, very nice, interesting discussions. Now I'd like to move to one of my favorite questions, which I ask many of our guests. So the context is this, Raghav, throughout our career, I think we are close to two decades in our work career. And there are many things in the past which has made us successful, right? And we try to cling on to that. And maybe the present needs something else to unlearn the past behaviors which led to past successes. But in the present, we need to unlearn those and learn new behavior or new practices, whatever you may call it as. Have you gone through such kind of experiences where you had to do that unlearning and relearning? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question. You know, I, I think I think life in itself is a constant process of unlearning and learning, right? You got you to gotta be willing to unlearn as well and not hold on to things when clearly they don't work or they're not correct, right? Stuff like that. So I would say early on in my career, again, and this is also a function of what kind of industry you're involved in. You know, earlier it was more channel sales and things like that for me with Asian Paints. And then I moved to more relationship-based B2B kind of selling, right, with Citibank and then technology. So I was a lot more aggressive early on in my career. I believed persuasion is primarily (laughs) the art of selling, right? And clearly that was a behavior which did give me a lot of success in initially, right? Especially with Asian pains and all of that, that I've, I've certainly had to unlearn. You know, you got to, as you mature in your career, you, you, you agree with the fact that many times less is more. And the more can only come from, and the more should come from what value are you taking to your client? You know, focus internally on what can I do uh, as an organization for to, to, to help my client. And then you try and amplify that value that you can deliver. If you do that, then your client is all the more interested in talking to you. And he's all the more interested in learning more about what you're talking about and giving you that time. Right? So rather than try to persuade um, you know, individuals, try and focus on the value you can bring. I think that's, that's a big learning for me. Well said, Raghav. That was a very engrossing discussion with you. So Raghav, if some of our listeners would like to carry forward some points that we discussed today, how could our listeners reach out to you? 
Oh, I'd uh, I'd love to hear from folks. Um, you know, I'm on I'm on LinkedIn, Raghav Radhakrishnan, and so Jay, maybe you could I request you to put uh, the link to that in your episode notes, uh, if possible. I really appreciated and enjoyed the conversation too. So thank you again for having me. Thank you, Raghav, for today. I wish you all the best, Raghav, in your future endeavors, and we'll be in touch. And maybe we look forward to see you here again on the Business Developer Podcast sometime in the near future. Thank you so much, Sujay. Take care, Raghav. Business developers need large deals to scale their business. Winning large deals is an art which can be learned. Hope this episode has helped you to gain ideas, inspirations or food for thought towards winning large deals to scale your business now or in the near future. Thanks to those who have given positive ratings to this show. Do give me a high five if you like this episode. I would also love to hear your feedback and suggestions for improvement. Also if you'd like to get your question answered just record it and email it to me I would make sure to play your question and get that answered in one of my upcoming episodes or if you'd like to share your story through the business developer podcast pitch it to me my contact information is provided in the episode notes that's it for now see you again in the next episode of the business developer podcast stay happy healthy curious to learn and Go ahead and close your large deal. Bye for now.